Hi, I'm Tyler Don Rosenquist, and welcome to Character in Context, where I teach the historical and ancient sociological context of scripture with an eye to developing the character of the Messiah, usually. Um, yeah, I, st I guess I still am this time. Um, if you prefer written material, I have five years worth of blog at theancientbridge.com, as well as my six books available on Amazon including a four-volume curriculum series dedicated to teaching scriptural context in a way that even kids can understand it, called Context for Kids. And I have two video channels on YouTube with free Bible teachings for both adults and kids. You can find the link for those on my website. Past broadcasts of this program can be found at characterincontext.podbean.com, and transcripts can be had for most broadcasts at theancientbridge.com, including this one. Not yet, though, if you're listening to this on the radio. I'm just providing way too much commentary today. If you have kids, I also have a weekly broadcast where I teach them Bible context in a way that shows them why they can trust God and how he wants to have a relationship with them through the Messiah. Now, this broadcast is going to be a bit different, and the reason is because I am finally having to address an abuse of a certain Greek word that is really harming people. And I got these friends who've been trying to get me to do this for years because I uncovered all this ancient, not ancient Near Eastern, but uh, Greco-Roman era documentation. Um, and, you know, like two years ago, and I was telling them about it, we were talking about it. Have you written that up yet? No, I really haven't. Anyway, the word is pharmakia. And the reason for the abuse is a lack of understanding about what the word meant in the ancient world which would have been the context of scripture and how it is unevenly and even conveniently applied in modern times. And the reason I'm addressing, addressing this is because um, <clears throat> the son of a friend of mine committed suicide back in February. And, you know, we just commit this terrible sin against people who commit suicide and their families in the body of Messiah where we're just quick to jump to conclusions. You know, when we use words like cowardice, weakness, selfishness, and the like to describe that person and their struggles when in truth, we're really just making guesses that make us feel superior and allow us to not have to enter into the tragedy and just stinking grieve the loss. And there's this horrible tendency within the believing community, again, one that we do not see in secular circles. This belief that although the body can be ill, that any part of the body can be legitimately sick and damaged and even defective from birth, you know, except the reproductive system and the brain. And not only is that unreasonable and illogical, because... The brain and the uterus and the testicles, for that matter, are organs no different from any other and therefore subject to breakdowns, malfunctions, birth defects. And, you know, it's it's just it's cruel and it leads to damaging doctrines, um, laughable doctrines, really, when we when we look at it at the uneven way we apply this. So damaging doctrines, you know, can lead to hopelessness, despair, breakdown, and yes, even suicide. A lack of understanding of how the brain works as though it's simple 
has led to a great many ignorant snap judgments of some very complex problems. Problems so complex that we are only in the infancy of understanding them. We're only in the infancy of beginning to understand them. You know, the truth is that when people commit suicide, it's for a whole host of issues, some of which will always remain a mystery. And we need to draw back from the assumption that we can know all the whys. We like to man it. We like to imagine that we've got a pretty good beat on the whys because when we can judge and elevate ourselves over all that and pretend like it couldn't possibly happen to anyone we love or anyone who loves and is devoted to God, you know, um, it's just our own desperate grasping for control over a situation where, sorry, we have no control. We want someone to blame. We want to be able to point to a moral weakness. We don't like unanswered questions. And I admit that I don't have the answers. All I have is an admission that the human brain and the human experience are both too complex for me to offer easy or satisfying answers when the unthinkable happens. When two people are faced with identical, identical circumstances and one thrives and the other kills himself. We want to chalk it up to some sort of virtue, but I don't think that's necessarily the right answer. You know, that just appeals again to our desire for control and blame. And I think we really gravitate toward the easy answers when sometimes there aren't any answers. And I'm going to come out right now and just say this. That it is my absolute belief that mental illness is rarely demonic in origins. All right. We just have to strip that out of the picture as an easy answer. The brain is insanely complex and things go wrong. A lot of things can go wrong, really. The more complex an organ is, the more things have the capacity to malfunction and break down. Just think of the difference between a simple tool like a screwdriver and an automobile. You actually have to really abuse a screwdriver pretty badly for it to finally be non-functional. But a car can break down fairly easily. And a Bacchus can work for centuries. A calculator for far less time and computers break down so often that there are repair shops in every town. Electronic devices break down when simple tools don't. Well, the neurologic system is very fragile compared with the rest of the body, and so we shouldn't be shocked that more can go wrong with it than, say, toenails. And yet, we don't tell people that an ingrown toenail is due to sin in their lives. Unless, of course, they got it from, like, kicking people, then, yeah, definitely. Um, we just need to demystify and despiritualize the brain and start seeing it as an organ that we barely understand. And I'm going to come out and say something else, too. Some people absolutely need psychiatric drugs in order to deal with chemical imbalances. I don't see it any different than the fact that my body has a genetic inability to flush salt, and no matter how little salt I eat, and I don't eat a lot of salt, I still need to take meds for my high blood pressure. 
And all those people telling me to take cayenne, they aren't educated on all the various causes for high blood pressure. They don't know that only some forms can be fixed through diet and exercise. They don't know about the different diseases of the body that can cause the heart to overwork itself. They think there's one easy fix. And there are a lot of people out there who are not educated in the complexities of the human body who think that everything is a quick fix. But I know way too many people who need, eat nothing but organic and who use essential oils for everything and who do everything right who are suffering with MS, multiple sclerosis, and Parkinson's and such things. Again, we want easy answers and cancer. We want easy answers because well, sometimes it's easier to just think that people have earned their problems than to recognize tragedy. I had a gal on my social media wall the other day. Well, back in May, okay? Actually, and she was determined that people who live right almost never have anything wrong with them. But that just isn't reasonable. Our bodies break down over time. Birth defects happen. And it's because of our complexity. Yes, people abuse themselves, but just making the assumption that everything stems from that is a total cop-out. And it also just isn't true. It's actually the reason why I am so open about my own health struggles on social media. I like to dismantle the shame. No, I'm not on psychiatric drugs, but after my stroke in 1997, my brain went haywire for a while while it was healing. And they put me on a drug to control my paranoia and mild OCD. And there was nothing mild about my paranoia. My brain was broken. And until it repaired itself enough, I needed help to function. Which brings us to the word pharmakia in scripture. And there are a lot of folks who will tell you in no uncertain terms that you are sinning for taking meds, any meds whatsoever, and especially psychiatric meds. They make this claim because of assumptions about the word pharmacy, which is related by root to pharmakia, and yet there are a lot of words related to the ancient Greek words because of similarities, and yet they also have profound differences. And scripture does contemn, condemn pharmakia without saying why, uh, because the why was known to every reader. Pharmakia was a criminal offense, as we know from ancient authors and law codes. And I will hopefully be able to find online versions of the papers that I, I used for this and, and link them. Um, so let's look at the verses about pharmakia really quick here and then apply context. Because no matter what a word sounds like in our 20th century world, it doesn't matter. What matters is what the word meant to the original audience. Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21. Excuse me for the sniffles. It's spring. What can I do? <coughs> and the 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 uh, sage is, is starting to bloom, which my body just loves. Anyway, now the works of the flesh are... And yes, I have been taking natural raw honey from this area for five years now. <laughs> it's not fixing it. Ah, every day. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, 
jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, so I purposely emphasize the word sorcery. Okay. Revelation 18 verses 21 through 24. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones on earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Now, in both of these, the word pharmakia is translated as sorcery. And we'll see it popping up six times in the Septuagint, which, of course, is the Greek authorized translation of the... Hebrew scriptures done like in the um, somewhere between the second and third century before the common era Hellenistic times Exodus seven eleven. then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts oh, what did they do well they made their staves into serpents so that's what you know Pharmacia right there. Next, they will turn water into blood. Exodus 7.22, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Exodus 8.7, but the magicians did the same by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. If there's any time you want pharmacia to work, that's it. When you don't want gnats all over you. It's <laughs> time we're not sticklers about what it happened. Get rid of these mosquitoes right now or oh my gosh. All right. And we also see it show up twice in Isaiah 47 talking about the judgment on Babylon. Uh, let's see. These two things shall come upon you in a moment, come to you in a moment, sorry. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Ooh. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries. Sorceries, there we go. 
with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you might inspire, you may inspire terror. You're wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. All right, these are the six times that pharmakeia appears as a translation of another word in the Hebrew scriptures. And this is clearly not about medication. Clearly. And in fact, you will not find one Bible scholar who actually studies the ancient world who will make the claim that this is about taking medicine. The medical system of modern times has nothing to do with how they practiced medicine in the ancient world anyway as it was a combination of methods and usually involved not only something legitimate, but also something accompanying it that was from the occult. Like the ancient Egyptians. Man, they would set a broken bone, and they had amazing technology. They could even fix cataracts. And maybe you saw the conspiracy theories last summer about the COVID test draining the pineal gland... And they used pictures of Egyptians removing cataracts to prove it. And after I pointed out the source of the picture, along with documentation, because that's what I do, they said the Egyptians just used that as a cover story so they can drain people dry. You really got to want something to be true, to say that ancient Egyptians were in on a, a conspiracy theory to drain people's pineal glands and pretended to remove cataracts. But funny enough, the people's cataracts got better. Okay, so they would do these legit procedures, but they didn't think that they would work unless they also performed magic. It's like so close yet so far, but still very impressive. You really got to hand it. If you want a really cool book about ancient Egypt. My favorite one is called The Ancient Gods Speak by uh, his last name is Redford. And it's really awesome. And you can pick up used copies cheap. It's all legit scholarship. So why do scholars translate pharmacia as sorcery instead of medicine? Even though a pharmacy is where we go to get meds. Well, because pharmacia was an actual crime in the ancient world. Um, one that either involved poisoning with an intent to kill or the production of things like love potions, which were meant to bring one person under the control of another person. And we know this because we have law codes and court documents from those times. Not a lot of them, but we have them. Um, so there was no guesswork involved here. No reading of what we want to see into this text. It's only when we look at the word pharmacy and work backwards from our own understanding that we get in trouble. But we can't do that. It's called an anachronism. It's like um, seeing somebody call themselves gay and then reading back into the gay 90s of 130 years ago saying, okay, all these people who were listening to jazz, they were all gay. No. Okay. Um, it's also like reading Christmas trees into ancient Babylon by selectively quoting only enough of Jeremiah to make it sound legit while ignoring the parts that make it obvious it isn't about that at all. 
plus ignoring archaeology in general and the wealth of knowledge we actually do possess about Babylonian religions and all we know about Ishtar and Tammuz, none of which lines up with the memes out there, which I know because I have a lot of scholarly materials on them and their worship. Okay, what we do have here is an agenda, albeit a well-intentioned agenda. I have no doubt that the people who teach this believe it with all their hearts, but there is still the problem that it doesn't match up with the historical meaning of pharmakia, which is why scholars and translators use sorcery to translate it, or magicians. And the sorcery focused on the use of the mystical arts in order to manipulate creation via the assistance of the gods, who were seen as part of nature and therefore part of the prod process. They didn't see gods as separate. Okay, like Yahweh is the creator. Well, the gods were part of creation. All right, they were subject to fate and everything just like anyone else. And they could be manipulated, whereas Yahweh can't. Um, so they saw a partnership between themselves and the gods in what they were doing. It was an idolatrous activity designed to do harm to another person, not to heal them, not to help out. And I know there are a lot of people who just flat out say that the scientists who do this for a living who strive and sacrifice their lives to come up with treatments and cures, but they're evil? But, oh man, it's pretty horrifying and horrible to condemn people like that when all you have to do, you know, all, all you have to go on is a hunch and an agenda and a pretty ungracious and unloving one at that. Truth is that nothing on the face of the earth can be derived from anything that is unnatural. Everyone starts out with what God has created. Now, people say that drugs are toxic, and yet, so are many essential oils. And people die from ingesting these things. Um, that doesn't make the memes, okay? And we currently use them in concentrations unheard of in ancient times. Not to mention the fact that we turn things into oils that were only ever used in resin form in ancient times. And what exactly do we think those love potions and potions in the ancient world were made of? All natural materials. The pharmacia spoken of in scripture has more in common with essential oils than with antibiotics or with psychiatric meds. And so if we're going to remove pharmacia from the context of intention and sorcery, we're going to have to outlaw the usage of essential oils and essential oil blends for believers because it's all they had to use. You know in ancient times, okay? They use plants, natural plants, as opposed to unnatural plants, I guess, <laughs> um, and resins and the like to, to make things that would serve their purposes, be it to poison or to heal or to create ecstatic trances in order to commune with their gods. It is only context that changes how we should look at it. Modern medicine? never existed in the ancient world. They were mixing natural ingredients and casting spells and performing silly rituals because they didn't believe that anything could work without the manipulation of the divine. And we even see it in the Talmud because they, they were still operating at a very superstitious level of medical health. Now, this blind spot is dangerous to a great many people. People are getting told they're sinning by other people who don't 
understand that naturopathic medicine is closer to ancient pharmacia than what they'll find behind the counter at the local drugstore. The difference is what the intention is. Clearly, the translators of the Septuagint did think that medicine was pharmacia, and they they were the eyewitnesses to the actual meaning of the word in the ancient world. All right? We aren't. Just like we can't say that people eating their cornflakes are worshiping the goddess Ceres. And, and it's why the only people you will see promoting such ideas are not scholars, but modern people looking backward and applying unequal weights and measures and not considering the fact that such a wide definition of pharmacia would destroy naturopathic medicine along with modern medicine. And I'll tell you something right now. A lot of times they're making money selling this stuff and promoting this stuff. So as much as they complain about big pharma, they're not giving this away for free. And welcome back to uh, this week's Character in Context, where we're talking about pharmacia in context and um, pharmacia myths, um, suicide, mental illness, the church. We're talking about a lot of stuff. Because um, there's this, this for, unfortunate thing. Maybe, hopefully it's just online. I don't know. But people saying that the pharmacia spoken of in scriptures is medicine, which I just proved it wasn't. And we've also had in ancient court documents, which I will hopefully be able to link somehow if I can find copies of them online. I have them printed out, but, you know, from a site where I had to pay to get... Actually, I had to pay tuition for my kid in order to get access to them. So we'll just see. Um, now, one of my favorite YouTube channels of all time is this one that graphs out statistics over time, and it's called Animated Stats, and I'm linking it in the transcript. It has this really cool one that I watched a while back that showed the difference in life expectancy over, like, the last 200 years. And unless you saw it, you would never believe it. 200 years ago, worldwide, life expectancy, and I mean, including here in America, was, like, no different than it was in the times of Yeshua, which was roughly 30 to 35 years, with you know, staggering infant mortality rates. And it shows over time who has the highest life expectancy, like the top 17 countries, I think. And the difference over the last, like, 120 years with the advent of modern medicine, it's crazy. Of course, in America, that is offset now by overconsumption and obesity, but I'm talking worldwide. Some countries, the life expectancy is now 85 years. Not here, though. And when people romanticize ancient medicine, they aren't showing you what things were actually like when that was all anyone had. And people were dying of what we consider to be minor problems and easily curable infections. And, you know, the people stuck in sanatoriums and insane asylums who can be treated now and even if not cured, have some semblance of life. And if people want to go back to before that, 
I don't see that as compassionate or representing biblical values. I think people just really don't have any idea of what life used to be like as a normative thing and not just like the exceptions to the rules, you know, that we get when we look at the lives of famous people who were in general wealthy and had access to better conditions. Now, I teach on this quite a bit, but the life expectancy in the time of Yeshua was horrifying. 30% of infants died in their first year. 60% of those who survived the first year were dead by the age of 16. And you know, who knows how many miscarriages there were. Um, people with skin diseases were first forced to the outskirts of society, where they often died from exposure and neglect. People who were mentally ill suffered worse. Modern medicine changed that. My own son is only alive because of medical advances. Imagine children dying and suffering permanent disability because of simple ear and eye infections. If you weren't wealthy, you had little chance of recovery from so many things that are so easily cured now. And if you were wealthy, you still usually had no chance of recovery. Survival of the fittest wasn't a Darwinist theory, but a reality and a nightmare. And even the fittest could be taken down unless they got very lucky not to be hit by multiple issues at once. And, and the wealthy, they often had blood drained from them in an attempt to let out sickness. Modern medicine, as an act of justice and righteousness, has evened the playing field. Now, despite some problems that no one's going to deny, rich and poor alike have a chance to live healthy lives as long as they can take care of themselves, okay? Medicine makes it possible for people who were born with defects or whose bodies suffer breakdown over time through no fault of their own to go on living healthy and happy lives. Medicine means that those who would have been deemed insane not so long ago can function normally in society. I can walk because of modern medicine. I had an undiagnosed case of rheumatic fever in college. And because of it, I began to lose the ability to walk. And I was 19 years old. Antibiotics cured me, and today I regularly go jogging on the treadmill. My strokes came under control only after I began taking a medication that opens up the blood vessels in my brain, allowing the clots that I make naturally because of estrogen cascading to pass through safely. The estrogen cascading happens because of birth defects to my reproductive system that kept me from carrying a baby to full term. Man, if I had been born a hundred years earlier, I'd be dead or too brain damaged to function. And maybe that's okay with some folks who feel that my life would be a whole lot more righteous if I died back uh, in my 20s, crippled and brain damaged, but at least living out God's will by not taking medication when necessary. Yeah, that was really tongue-in-cheek. Um, is that the sort of thinking or the sort of thing that we really believe makes God happy? Suffering and death instead of using science to try and make people's lives last longer? Does God love only love the people born with perfect bodies? To me, that sounds like the opposite of Yeshua's warning that those who neglect the least of these are the goats instead of the sheep. 
Medicine is a way of caring for the least of these. Sometimes people with expendable income don't really understand what life is really like for those who don't. Now, people who are pushing to get rid of medicine are not intentionally, I'm sure, saying that people who don't have access to a cabinet full of essential oils or the money to buy them or access to proper nutrition, that they're just expendable. That people who can't afford to turn food into oil because of the enormous waste involved in resources, that they're living outside of God's will. People need to look at life expectancy historically to get a real picture of what the real consequences are when people have no access to modern medicine. Does God love the poor? Yes, absolutely. He even demands that we care for them. And we do that through a lot of things that people rail against. Vaccinations, whether you like them or not, have been a godsend in third world countries. I'm not anti-vax. I think everyone should have that choice. Yes, there can be side effects in rare cases, and people need to make choices accordingly. Malaria meds, again, just ask anyone who's ever lived in Africa where it's epidemic. Antibiotics revolutionize the world. It's part of how we are caring for the sick, for those who cannot care for themselves and who die in droves without it. Okay, there is nothing romantic. Excuse me. Allergies. <laughs> oh, that sagebrush. There is nothing romantic about the state of the world before the advent of modern medicine. There was nothing fair about it. There were no guarantees that living right meant not dying very young and very tragically. God allows sickness, just like he allows a whole host of other evils, in order to see what we will do with it and because of it. He allowed slavery and changed us and the way we feel about human beings so that we would fix it. He allows evil and expects us to do something about it and not just smugly act as though evil only ever happens to people through his will. There's a big difference between his will and what happens down here on earth. His will, as Yeshua pronounced in no uncertain terms in Matthew 25, is that we must do everything we can to help the poor, widowed, orphaned, oppressed, foreign, and yes, the sick. A failure to do so, a failure to use modern innovations to help them, that's to be counted among the goats. We must use every option at our disposal to make things better for those who are trapped in terrible circumstances. Do we use witchcraft? Ancient pharmacia? No. Do we pray? Do we use legitimate medicines? Pharmaceutical and naturopathic? Absolutely. We do whatever we can to extend life to those who are in need of it. And we don't ignore the evidence of the past in an attempt to romanticize it. And yes, I feel very passionately about this. Look, if you believe that we are better off with a life expectancy of 30 to 35 years, then by me, all means get rid of all the pharmaceuticals. But please be consistent and lay off what the sorcerers would have, sorcerers would have been using in their pharmacia. 
the resins and the plants and the oil. As for me and my house, we're going to pay attention to what the sorcerers were doing and why and how they were doing it. We're going to pay attention, close attention to the context. And we're not going to tell people who were being, who are being kept alive that they should stop taking their meds. We're not going to tell people that if they just had enough faith that God would heal them. Because God isn't our personal valet or a magician just waiting for the right combination of this and that in our lives before he is triggered and obligated to do what we want or what we think he should do. Now, you want magic and sorcery? That's exactly how it worked in the ancient world. Do this or that and say your God's name just so and he'll give you what you want. That's pharmacia, not science. Science says when you mix this and that together, it combines to create something with these specific properties which will react in a certain way. No magic involved, just cause and effect according to the order with which God created the universe. And I can say this not only as a scientist, but a chemist specifically. This isn't me speaking about something I am uneducated about. This is me telling you how science works at a very basic level, of course, okay? Now, magic, as opposed to science, relies on more than simply A plus B equals C. It relies on A plus B plus divine intervention equals C. And it's called sorcery because there is this expectation that something in the spiritual realm is being manipulated by humans in order to achieve a desired effect. To a scientist, combining chemicals and getting a result is no different functionally than a farmer applying a plow to a field and the soil being churned up. Cause and effect. Scientists use the natural in order to discover new end uses. Sorcerers combine the natural and the supernatural in order to achieve a desired manipulation of the natural world. You cannot separate pharmacia and scripture from that sort of understanding. Whether it was Livia poisoning her political enemies, or pagan priests using ecstatic drugs to induce trances, or the production of love potions designed to subvert a person's natural inclinations. Science is the opposite of magic because it cannot explain away any results that will not occur through a simple cause and effect. Okay, Magic subverts cause and effect. It cannot be depended upon for consistent results. And that's what science is about, consistent results. And the whole reason I'm even bringing this up is because of two friends of mine, both believers, both faithful. One of them... Her son committed suicide in February. The other, after years of suffering clinical depression, finally, finally began to take antidepressants. And the only reason she didn't do it earlier was because of the really terrible stigma against it within the believing community. But I'll tell you what I told her. Honey, your brain is sick. It isn't doing what it needs to do for whatever reason. If you need medicine to fix the problem, then take it if you want to, but don't let anyone talk you into treating this as if it was any different from treating an ulcer or high blood pressure or taking insulin, because it isn't any different. The brain is an organ just like any other 
things can go wrong. There are a lot of things that can go wrong. And when people tell you that it's either sin or demons, then they're just lacking understanding that the brain is just another part of our bodies, like any other. And those shouldn't have been controversial words, but I know they are. As believers, we have some messed up ideas about the brain and about the reproductive systems, like they aren't able to be defective or sick. Like, God just runs both of those from a massive control panel in heaven, and if you're good, he gives you a house full of kids and a sane brain, and if you aren't, he doesn't. But anyone can look around and see that neither of those positions is realistic or even biblical. But religious paradigms often have nothing in common with reality or basic logic or compassion. And prosperity gospel has its tentacles into more mainstream theology than we would like to believe. The idea that a righteous person can never be barren or become mentally ill is ridiculous. It's wishful thinking. It's elitist thinking. It's prosperity gospel. And in the case of mental illness and chemical imbalances, our prosperity gospel focus and our lack of care for the least of these is killing people. Our refusal to see this as a legitimate case of something's going organically wrong with this organ of the body, it's a form of oppression that is keeping people from getting the help they need. And when we do that for long enough, can we even feign surprise when people commit suicide? When we give them no comfort, no answers other than you're demon-possessed or you don't have enough faith or you're obviously sinning in some way. Is that the best we can do? Aren't we supposed to be there for people? Aren't we supposed to be better than the world? In this case, the world is better than we are because someone who has a mental illness can go to them and have their disability be immediately taken seriously and not written off as sinner demons. Think about what kind of despair we're foisting onto people whose only crime is to be inconvenient and an embarrassment to the false image of believers that we can just, we want to be out there and, and you know, where we're all healthy and happy and well-adjusted and not just as messed up as everyone else in the world. The difference in our lives is supposed to be love and hope and that we're not alone and that we should be that for others so that they have love and hope, and they aren't alone either. But this stuff that we do makes them more alone than they were before they made the mistake of telling us. Look, I know what it's like to spend every single day wanting to be dead. For me, that was every day between the ages of 12 and 16. And although it got better after that, I can't say that I was ever really a happy person until just like the past few years. And, and I can admit that without shame. And it wasn't demons. I had a lot of trauma to work through. Things that just absolutely crushed me, crushed my spirit, and that didn't go away when I became a believer at the age of 29. God's healed me, slowly but surely, but it took decades. And there are people who have been through unbelievable trauma that makes mine look like nothing. So there's that. Mental anguish that needs to be dealt with by God and or a professional. No shame. No shame in that. I, I probably would have benefited from a counselor, but I'm just too independent and introspective. You know, then after my first stroke, my brain was seriously malfunctioning. Clots do that. They damage stuff. 
I became a paranoid obsessive compulsive. I couldn't function. Again, not demons. Brain damage. Some, some of that lasts even today, you know, over 24 years later. I, uh, I used to be a calligrapher. And now my handwriting is just atrocious. And for the first 20 years after my stroke, I, my hand would stop writing long words about halfway through and wouldn't obey my own brain. I still have bruises on my upper arm because I run into walls because my body isn't exactly sure where I am when I'm walking too quickly. This happened because my brain doesn't work the way it should. My IQ is much lower than it was in college. I'm still way above normal, but I can tell the difference. Because brains get damaged, they malfunction. They can develop, develop chemical imbalances just like hearts and kidneys and livers and stomachs and every other part of our bodies. Like eyes needing glasses and ears needing hearing aids. These aren't moral issues and no one ever suggests that they are. Well, almost no one. And yet we shame people over their brains. We shame trauma survivors if they don't get it together fast enough or get over a loved one's death. According, you know, to our timetable. And then we're stunned when people who don't show any external signs of trauma you know, they wind up dead by their own hands. We are not a safe sort of society to be truly honest and vulnerable in. And even if a person has their family there for support, they still have the weight of the world pressing down on them, telling them that they're hopeless if they can't just positively think their way out of it. Yeah, if only we just allowed people to be depressed without all the value judgments, without trying to artificially cheer them up or offer them platitudes about positive thinking and exercise and eating correctly when something deeper is wrong. But we don't know what it is because we're forever forcing easy answers on people's problems. But hey, easier to call people snowflakes when they're struggling, right? Oh, man. Okay, so I saw this meme today. It was one of those things, shaming a person who says something just revolting. A politician was asking publicly on social media if perhaps we should have classes about mental health in high school in order to begin the dialogue for people who are seriously struggling. The response? Oh, yeah. Just have Bible classes instead because all mental illness, in all caps, is actually demonic and the entire mental health industry is one huge consp conspiratorial cover-up. Uh-huh. Oh, man. You want somebody who is going through a mental crisis to kill themselves? Just tell them they're possessed. That'll do it. I thank God for the Christian counselors out there who actually help people and who are trying to circumvent the horrible damage being done by armchair quarterbacks who are not there for people in need. The types of people who, instead of listening and hugging and crying and being there, just try to do an on-the-spot exorcism and then blame the person when it doesn't work. Oh, you obviously aren't really repentant for the sins that got you here in the first place. No, couldn't that be that I was totally off base? You know, a little compassion goes a long way. And so think about that, you know, think about where a lot of compassion would take us if a little goes a long way. You know, mental illness is scary from the outside. Just think of what it's like from the inside. 
As a former paranoid OCD, even for just that year when my brain was recovering functionally, you know, from the stroke, I can tell you it is terrifying. I needed medication. I needed time to heal. I didn't need to be fed ridiculous nonsense about somehow it was all actually being demons. Oh my gosh, I was paranoid enough as it was. And the people who are suffering today in whatever way from trauma or disease or mental illness, they seriously need for you to help them out or get out of their way. But never forget that they are the exact people that Yeshua spoke about in the parable of the sheep and the goats. We just have to decide which of those we're going to be in response to their needs. The sheep that, you know, take care of them and don't shame them and go the extra distance and preserve life or the goats that drive them to suicide and more insanity. Ah, oh, jeez. So anyway, um, I don't know what next week's broadcast is going to be. I might talk about prosperity gospel. I'm thinking about it. If I don't, it's going to be, um, we're going to dive into Matthew 23. I've got a teaching on, um, an excursion, an excursus on, uh, apocalypticism and apocalypticism ah, and eschatology before talking about Mark 13, because that's really what Mark 13 is. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks, but I, I've, I've had these people there. They've been asking me about these things. And so what, two weeks ago, I did um, gender-based religion, got into some neo-paganism a little bit. And then last week it was um, polygyny, which is multiple wives. And uh, this week this, and maybe next week prosperity gospel. And then we get back into Mark. Uh, anyway, take care. <laughs>